So we'll get started because we got about, I think now 45 minutes because uh, I don't know if service went on a little long, but let's hope that don't happen again. But <laughs> so three year, about two years ago, I was a youth pastor. My name is Chad Tusing, and uh, actually I was talking to my pastor and I was felt led to transition and do something different. So I had a conversation with him and said, hey, uh, pastor, I feel like God is leading me to something different. I just don't know really what that is or what it looks like. So he was very gracious and understanding and gave me some space and time to figure it out. And a week later, I got a, a text from Pastor Nate, and we met up at Bibby Bop, uh, the most glorious food in all of Ohio, and then we went to Panera after that. And he was sharing with me the idea of Youth Alive and this ministry that's designed to engage the school campus. Now, I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in the AG Church, but knew nothing about Youth Alive. So it was all brand new to me, but all of a sudden I started to feel this, this tug on my heart that was full of excitement and then also confirmation that this was the next step that God was leading me to do. Over the next few months, I uh, switched and transitioned from being a full-time youth pastor to being a full-time U.S. missionary, leading and directing Ohio Youth Alive and launching it where our vision for Youth Alive is to see every school and every community reached with the gospel of Jesus. Now, uh, we work with teenagers, youth. Amongst Gen Z, uh, there has been a drastic increase in atheism. It has doubled since just my generation, millennials. Drug abuse is also increasing, where about 50% of teens have abused drugs at least one time. And then one in every 100 minutes, we see a suicide committed amongst Gen Z. The need to reach our teenagers is great. It's huge. That's why you're here in this session, uh, seeking to empower teenagers to reach their schools. Our mission for Youth Alive is to empower teenagers to reach their schools. The reason we choose teenagers is because to reach a teen, it has to be through a teen. We got some right up here. To reach your school, it's going to be through you guys. Now, us as youth pastors, lead pastors, kids pastors, we can do what we can to empower them. So hopefully today you feel a little more equipped to empower your teen in your, camp, or in your church. So we're going to go through some principles that we have found to be very, very helpful. This is my wife, Cherish. Uh, we just got married, so she's been leading this ministry with me for the past, um, I don't know, six months or so since we've been married. I say or so, I should have that, you know, that number on, uh, like a switch, but uh, I think we're run actually coming up on seven months, so come on, I got that down. All right. So the first principle, we, we ain't, go ain't going to slow down, we're just going to go straight to it. Ownership over everything. Ownership over everything. I was having a, I had a coaching call with a couple of our campus missionaries who launched a Bible club up in the Cleveland area. And they launched this club and had some tremendous success right out of the gate. They were meeting every other week and their group was growing. And they were afraid that if they started meeting every week that it would be too overwhelming to handle. So I asked them this question. I said, how can you create ownership amongst other people in your group? How can you create a team where the weight isn't just on your shoulders, but it can then be on some of theirs. Because if you put some on their plate, they start running with it. So let's see how we can create ownership. 
So we had a follow-up conversation a month later, and their group continued to grow. There's a seat right here um, and one in the back. So the group continued to grow, and I asked them, I said, so last, our last conversation we talked about creating ownership. What did you do differently to do that? And she said, well, I picked these two girls, and they, they're the ones that find our Bible passages every week. So they read the Bible, they figure out what passage we're going to do, and then I create the questions. I said, okay, well, why did you pick these two girls? She says, well, they're new Christians. They don't know the Bible, so I figured why not give them a responsibility that leads them to reading the Bible. <laughs> so they started reading the Bible every day, and naturally they're going to find those verses that a lot of people struggle with. So she picked two girls to pick the verses. I said, okay, what else did you do? And they started telling me this other, this other role that they created. Hey, the, the one leader, he has a lot of influence on the underclassmen. Is that what it's called? Under and upperclassmen, right? The freshmen and sophomores. So he's a lot of influence with the freshmen and sophomores, but they didn't have a person that had a lot of influence with the juniors and seniors. But there was one girl who had a lot of influence that a lot of people turned to. But the thing is, is she came to the club a couple times, enjoyed going to the club, but she was agnostic. She wasn't a Christian. She didn't really know where she was at in her faith, didn't even really like the idea of God so much, but enjoyed going to this campus club. They saw, they saw something in her. So they said, hey, you've been coming to the group. Why don't you become our primary inviter for the upperclassmen? Do you know what this girl did? She started inviting all of her friends. The group continues to grow. And lo and behold, she started showing up more and more frequently, and then she became a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what these students did is they didn't just give them tasks. They gave them a responsibility. They gave this one girl a responsibility to be the primary inviter and then the other girl's responsibility to dig into scripture. They saw something in there. Uh, but how does this look? How does ownership look in our youth context? I have a little picture or graph of what this looks like and the difference between uh, delegating responsibilities versus delegating tasks because there's a little bit of a difference. Delegating responsibilities often includes delegating tasks, but... Delegating a task does not always mean you're delegating a responsibility. So here's the difference. Delegating responsibility will say something like this. Can you take lead on blank? Can you take lead on finding the Bible passages? Can you take lead on inviting people? Delegating a task involves can you take care of this? Delegating a task is often just temporal. It's just temporary. It doesn't have that long-lasting thing, which is also why uh, delegating responsibilities creates consistency. It's something consistent done over and over and over again. Delegating tasks is, uh, it allows for inconsistency. Delegating responsibilities also enhances creativity. When you're given a role, when you're given a responsibility, you can say, oh, I can work with this. I can create this. I can find a solution to this. Where when you're delegating a task, it limits that creativity. Delegating responsibility also develops a leader. Develops a leader because if they're consistently finding solutions that are often creative, you're going to find yourself a leader who's being raised up. Where if you just delegate tasks all the time, you create a yes man. There's nothing wrong with that, but there has to be some transition where they're going from tasks 
responsibilities. Jesus does this. Jesus does this. He does it in Matthew 4. He calls his disciples and he says, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to be fishers of men, how to fish for people. And we see some stories where he has his disciples giving food to thousands of hungry people. He's handing out all this food to thousands. That's a task. Jesus delegated tasks. But then in Matthew 28, we see him saying, I've been given all authority to say, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gave his disciples the responsibility of discipleship and making disciples. So, as we're empowering teenagers, let's think through the how can we create ownership and responsibilities among teens and not just provide tasks. Tasks are a good start. Let's see how we can transition into a responsibility. So the next one, next principle. This is often, I thought of this because uh, especially in youth culture, <laughs> youth culture changes so doggone much. It's constantly changing all the time. As soon as you feel like you've got a handle of things and you're, you got your system in your church and then you go onto a youth page on Facebook or on Instagram and then all of a sudden someone else is doing something really, really cool and you're like, oh, am I even doing it right? So, uh, and then you're looking for the next best thing. Can I just say that the best strategy is the one the student creates? and the one the team supports. It's not always what everyone else is doing. It's what God is leading you to do. We can look and turn eyes to what everyone else is doing, but if we can't own it, then what's the point? If our student can't own it, then what's the point? The best strategy is the one you create and the team supports. So every year, uh, Cherish and her family, they do a Christmas cookie bake. Oh, it sounds glorious, right? The Holy Spirit's all in that house when that's happening. So, uh, but the guys aren't allowed, so it's all ladies. The ladies come together and guys are kicked out, so I go to a coffee shop and start doing some work, and at the end of the day, I, I show up and I walk in that door. It smells all glorious and good. So I walk over to Cherish and I see what they're doing. I'm looking at all this arrangement of cookies and I'm trying to figure out which one to eat, you know? It's all these cookies. Which one's the best one? I can't try them all. So I see the ones that are perfectly cut with the arms and the legs and the gumdrop buttons and the pretty face. And it's all just perfect. You got the stars that are all in line. You know you have those cookie cutter cookies that are very, very pretty. And then you have the ones that you know the kids got their hands on. That's just a blob where there's no, the shape doesn't even exist. It looks like a cloud of something. And then there's just like a blob of icing all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? So I asked her, she said, okay, which one do I need to eat? Which one, which cookie is the best one? She told me it's not the one that looks the best. It's the one that looks messy. So I, I try the one that looks messy with the blob of icing and oh, it was soft, it was warm, and she was just perfect. And then I'm like, well, the pretty one looks pretty good. Gotta try the pretty looking cookie. So then I pick up the pretty looking cookie and I bite it. I don't know what they baked this thing with, but it wasn't sugar. It was, <laughs> it was bland. It was, ugh. it looked good. Sometimes strat the best strategies aren't the ones that look perfect and pretty. Sometimes the best strategies when it comes to empowering people and discipleship look a little messy. But let's own that. 
because the one we created is the one the team is supporting. It might not look pretty. It can get messy. And even some ideas can be messy. Usually we'll coach a student and they'll come to us and they'll ask for our ideas on what it looks like to reach the school. How am I doing on time? Okay, I got to get cooking. So students will come, come to us and ask how, uh, how to reach the school. And usually when they ask for our ideas, my, the response varies, but usually my response looks like this. Well, what are some ideas that you might have? You have a need. What, how do you think you should meet that need? And usually they start coming up with these ideas. You see, a student, I don't think, needs more ideas. They need affirmation. They need affirmation of their ideas. In leadership, we're not, we're mentors, but rather than just giving and providing ideas, let's see how we can affirm their ideas and bring it out of them. The best strategy is the one that they create. I believe in Psalm 37, 4, when it says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that there are desires upon students' hearts that is to reach their school and he has given them ideas to do it. So let's lead them in a way to where they can be in tune with the Spirit of God. So as we lean into their ideas, number three, principle number three, let them run. Let them run. Run, Forrest, run. Let them run. Sometimes we, we, hard, we hold them back from what they feel called to do. And this is why I think, you know, fine arts is so crucial is because it, it allows a space for them to cultivate these gifts. That's why I think some of these areas within... OIM are so crucial because it's encouraging teenagers to run. That's why Youth Alive is so crucial because it's encouraging teenagers to reach your school. It doesn't have to weigh on the shoulders of a youth pastor. It can be done through students. Let them run. There's a passage in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us empower students to run their race. I think there's a point where we can run with them, but we can't run it for them. Hebrews 12 says to run the race marked out for you. When it comes to leading a teenager, or anyone for that matter, we can't tell them which race to run, but we can help them figure out what their lane looks like. Say, hey, you want to see this happen? You know, there's a movie called Run, Fat Boy, Run. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about this guy, Dennis, who is, uh, begins to train for a marathon to find an, a, the approval of his ex-fiance's love. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird movie. So his ex-fiance is about to marry someone else, so he starts training for this marathon to, to win her love back over. And Gordon is his trainer. Both guys are out of shape. And Dennis, he's this, he's this British guy. I can't remember his actual name. But they go outside, and they're ready for training day, very first day. Gordon, he, he, he tells Dennis, all right, go on then, run. Dennis is in his really tight shorts and his too small shirt. His belly's hanging out, and he's ready to run. He says, he asks, he says well, he says, isn't there some kind of special technique? And then Gordon says, well, yeah. You put one leg in front of the other over and over again really, really fast. You run. And we can overcomplicate discipleship and empowering and leader development, but it's simple. It's putting one foot in front of the other, going one idea after another idea, and just running. 
moving, going forward. And that's something we try to do with teenagers. We don't overcomplicate what it looks like to launch a campus club. We don't overcomplicate what it looks like to reach the school. We simplify it. So let's simplify even youth ministry. Let them run and don't take over. So here's the dilemma, though. If you've ever written a paper, I, find, I found this to happen very, very frequently, especially when I was in college. Anyone want to take a guess? What's the hardest part, even just for you, what's the hardest part about writing a paper? The beginning. You're staring at, oh, man, you're smart. I like that. We're, we got this kindred spirit or something. So uh, I didn't even tell him to say that, but thank you. So the blank page. What do you do when you've just got this blank page? We have students, they'll say, I want to reach my school, and I hear this all across the state. I want to reach my school, but I don't know how. I've got this blank page. Where do I even start? So we'll encourage them. First step is pray. Align your spirit with God's spirit. What is God encouraging you to do? If you don't hear or feel led to do anything right there, then let's, let's try to identify the need. What is the need in your school? Then number three, what do you see? What do you see? What is the vision? What do you see? How is that need being met? What do you see? Do you, is the need brokenness and depression? Do you see joy, happiness as people are walking through the school? Do you see people praying for one another outside of the locker? Do you see a group meeting together where you're all praying for one another and encouraging one another? What do you see? And then we get to the question, how do you see that happening? Well, if there's a campus club involved, then let's work towards the campus club. If it's, if it's prayer that's involved, let's see how we can create a prayer group. If it's uh, joy, then let's see how we can plant seeds of joy in our school. So that usually gets them going, and if that doesn't go anywhere, then give an idea. <laughs> it's okay to give an idea at that point. But when all said and done, let's see how we can pull out these ideas and allow them to run. Four, principle number four, consistency is key. Consistency is key. There's a story of a man who had a dream to plant and grow a bamboo tree. And I don't know if any of you have heard this illustration, but there's a story of this man, and he, he bought the seeds for these bamboo trees, and he, he plants them. He goes and gets water, and he waters them every single day. And a couple months go by, and he, he goes and gets water, and he waters it every day. And a couple months go by, and there was nothing. Nothing happened. And a, a couple more months go by, and he keeps watering it, and nothing. And after time, he, he realized, well, this bamboo tree isn't growing as I expected, so I'm going to have to find another way to provide for my family. So he grew other crops while he's still watering this seed. One year goes by, nothing. Two years go by, still nothing. He's watering every day. Five years go by, and just when he's at his wit's end, he's like, well, I can't stop now. I'm five years in. i got to keep going. But there was, even at five years, there was nothing. But then all of a sudden, the village heard shouts and, and joy and excitement. Now, this is the same village. I was making fun of this guy because 
Who's this guy planting this bamboo tree and watering it every day when there's nothing actually happening? But every day he watered, and then one day he saw something come out of the ground. It was a little tiny bamboo tree, and it started to grow. Two weeks go by, and it grows. Three weeks go by, and it's at 10 feet, and then 20 feet. And before you know it, within six weeks, that bamboo tree grew to 90 feet tall. Five years of nothing. But then all of a sudden, within six weeks, 90 feet high. Sometimes consistency doesn't look so pretty. Sometimes consistency can be hard. Sometimes you can be going through five years of seeing nothing, but then all of a sudden, this tree grew 90 feet tall. I wonder how many times there were seeds and water planted in Paul's life before he had that radical transformation and saw Jesus. You never know. We don't know what happened to Paul or how many people talked to Paul or how many seeds were planted in Paul's life. But we saw the other end. As soon as you saw Jesus, it was game over. So even when you're working with people, and often the difficult ones, we're watering that seed day in and day out for that one day when it sprouts out of the ground and it goes. Consistency is key. Christine Kane says consistent action or creates consistent results. Consistent action creates consistent results. And I would say that to create the culture you desire, consistency is required. In your church, in your ministry, in whatever you're leading, to create the culture you desire, consistency is required. So what this means for students, do what you consistently can do. What this means for students, do what you can consistently do. Is it encouraging a friend? Is it praying for a friend? Is it meeting with a group of people every single week? If you can't consistently meet with a group of people every single week, then don't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. Do what you can consistently do. For a leader, same thing. Do what you can consistently do. I know as leaders, we can feel a lot of pressure to be pulled this direction and that direction and this direction and that direction and try to do the next best thing and this coolest thing, but do what you can consistently do. If it's teaching a lesson every week, if it's encouraging a student every week, if it's nudging them and say, hey, how are you doing on this? every week. What can you consistently do? Consistency is key. Number five. Number five is we've got to start somewhere. (laughs) This sounds simple too, isn't it? Start somewhere because if you wait till you're ready, it's probably too late. Oh, man. So I was working with a campus missionary one day, and uh, she was ready. I mean, she was one of our strongest ones. She had that, that leadership capacity. She had this vision. She had this heart for her school. And I knew she was ready. Like, she had it. And I said, well, let's, let's get this club going. She said, well, I don't feel ready. I don't know if we can really start till March. And this was back in, like, the beginning of the school year. I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, you're ready. 
But you know, I had to let her run her race. I couldn't, I couldn't have her start until she was felt ready. But I felt like, oh, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready. And she waited. Now, what's really, really awesome about that story is she has started by now, but she didn't start with the campus club. This is why we, we hear the heart of teenagers and we don't push our ideas on them. See, our, our like, wish is that every student would you know, start a campus club and then boom, it's like, oh, it's moving. But she had a different strategy. Her idea was to gather a few people that would eventually be the core team. She noticed that there was no one in her school that was quite ready to be part of the core team. So we try to figure out, well, how can you get them ready? If they're not ready, then how can we get them ready? So she formed a smaller Bible study where they would meet at, I think, a coffee shop, maybe even her house, where they've met a couple times already. And they're meeting on a regular basis, and she's working with them. And as she's working with this small group, she's in the process of launching an official Youth Alive Bible Club. How cool is that? But she started somewhere. She started with something small. Start with something small. The Bible says in one, Psalm 103, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. Sad day. The wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been here. Annual wildflowers, uh, they bloom for two to three months. And then they're only popping up for about two months and then they're gone. And it's, they're, they're here for one season. Well, the average youth pastor at one church is somewhere between 18 months to 24 months. That's maximum of two years. And there's some that exceed that. But the average is about two years. A middle school student is only in their school for how long? Two to three years, seventh, eighth grade, maybe if it goes start to sixth grade, two to three years. A high school student is four years. Let's hope it's not five. Four years. And that's if they're at the same high school for all those four years. Our time is short. Our time in ministry is short. Our time with these students is short. Our time is short, so we have to find a way to work with these teens where they're at, where they're at. So may I encourage you is sometimes ministry can be overwhelming. Sometimes leading people can be overwhelming. It can be messy. Sometimes working with teenagers can be harder because it's harder for it's harder to grab lunch with a teenager because you're working with the parent, you're working with their ride, and you're working with all these things. Working with an adult can be a little easier because you can, well, you can yell at an adult. If, if you have that relationship with them, you can give them some tough love. It's a little harder to give tough love to, to teenagers. We want to love them. But start somewhere. I heard some great report from Jimmy who attended our workshop just a few weeks ago about how he's taken some next steps in encouraging his teenagers to reach their school. Now, today has just been about principles, and I hope you're able to take one of these principles home with you and take it to, to your context, to your culture. But in our workshops, we do 
uh, strategizing. The entire thing is strategizing. It's four hours of just figuring out how we can create a strategy in our church to reach our school and empower our teens to do so. So information on that is on our website. You can register there. We're going to be in Dayton next weekend. Uh, we'll also be in Toledo and Youngstown, Pastor Matt's church over here. We'll be at Highway Tabernacle in April. So if you want to learn how to create that strategy, today was about principles. But we're going to be, it's, it's a working workshop. So we talk, we discuss, we figure out how can we create some steps on engaging the school campus and empowering our teens to do what they were called to do. But we got to start somewhere. Lemony Snicket says, if you wait until you're ready, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. <laughs> so let's not wait for the rest of our lives and let's not wait for teenagers to graduate before we lead them in uh, into their calling. So to overview, summarize what we did. The first principle is ownership over everything. Question to ask, what responsibility can you delegate that will create ownership? What responsibility can you delegate that will create ownership? Number two, the best strategy is the one the student creates and the team supports. Question to ask for that. How can you bring affirmation to a student's ideas? How can you bring affirmation to a student's ideas? Number three, let them run. Let them run. Run, Forrest, run. Let them run. How can you keep them focused on the race marked out for them? How can you, as their leader, keep them focused on the race marked out for them? as we see in Hebrews 12. Number four, consistency is key. What can you consistently do to empower the student? What can you consistently do to empower your staff member? What can you consistently do to empower? Number five, start somewhere, because if you wait until you're ready, it's probably too late. What's my next step? What's my next step as a leader, as a youth pastor, as a volunteer, as a student? What's my next step in reaching our school campuses? That's where the teenagers, that's where the students are at. That's where the students are at. I took the average number of teens in a church. Average is about 10. If we take 100 congregants in the church, that's the vast average of churches is 100. You got about 10% of those are going to be teens, so you have 10 students in a church. If you divide the average number of teenagers in a school district, you have 1,600, 1,636.66. If you divide those numbers together, 10 divided by 1,600, you have 0.6%. If your church is doing everything right, you have your youth program, you have discipleship, you have everything right and put together, your average reach is 0.6% of your community for teenagers. To increase that, we've got to engage the school campus. To do that, we've got to empower our teens. So, um, love you guys. For more information, check out our website. But I want to open up for questions. Questions about Youth Alive. Questions about how we operate and do things. Um, I left some time open. But hopefully when you walk away, you figure out what your next step is in your context. But what questions might you have?
for Youth Alive and what we do. Does anyone know how a student can get involved with Youth Alive? If you've got teenagers, does anyone know that? Is that a question I can answer for you? Maybe. I'll answer that. Okay, so if you have a teenager who is hungry to get in, involved with Youth Alive, you can point them to our website, ohioyouthalive.com. We have a form in there that talks about what it means to become a campus missionary. And if they fill out that form and use you as a reference, we'll get them on board with becoming a campus missionary. Come to our workshops. We'll equip you to be their coach. So right now, Cherish and I are the coaches for the entire state of Ohio. Well, we have over 30 campus missionaries that we're working with right now. So in order for this to continue to grow, we need other coaches. So uh, come to our workshops, and we'll talk through that. Um, but if your student wants involved, follow our Instagram. Take them to our website. We have a radical belief in teens. And know that to reach our schools and reach teenagers, it's got to be through our teenagers. Um, you don't have to carry all the weight yourself. The day and age where a youth pastor or lead pastor can walk into the school, have lunch, and buy pizza for all these students, pretty near over. Pastors can't just walk in anymore unless you have a really, really tight relationship with the principal. But then once that principal is gone and they go to another school district, you got a new principal in, those doors close up pretty quick. So to see the school reach, it's got to be through the teen. So let's empower our teens and see doors open up for the local church to then support that teen. Teenager launch a campus club, wants to serve the school by providing donuts for the school. Church gets behind and says, hey, we'll provide the donuts. It's a win for the student. It's a win for the church. It's a win for the kingdom of God. So, uh, man, I love you guys and have a radical belief in you in reaching your school. I don't know if any of you are homeschooled. We have a homeschool campus missionary back here. Um, but <laughs> yes, I am. Hey, you said I just pointed, so no one really knew. You just said. <laughs> They don't know that. It could be Ian with a big beard. <laughs> so, um, but I have a radical belief in you guys that you can reach your school for Jesus and that through one step at a time, the world will come to know Jesus. So uh, let me pray for you guys if you don't have any questions. We'll be here. We have a Youth Alive booth, but love you and love what you're doing. Keep it up. Keep moving. Keep going. Uh, God, we thank you that you are a good God and that you uh, chose us before we chose you. God, you reached out to us and expressed love and showed love before we could uh, love others and love you. So, Lord, as with that understanding and with knowing how you love us, help us to love others as well. As you've empowered us, help us to empower others. God, give us vision. Give us ideas. Lead us by your spirit and what it looks like to reach the lost and the broken and reach this generation that is going to lead the church in the next 10, 15 years. Lord, help us. Because God is a big mission field. So lead us and help us to understand what our next steps are as leaders and ministry leaders. In Jesus' name, amen.